your explanation of sati as putting a ring around proliferation makes sense to me. How can I do this non-verbally? It strikes me my retreat experience is all about learning how to speak with myself more skillfully. Do you have advice on how best to do the ring fencing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose the the loop because phenomena they're not things at all, they're kind of wave functions. <laughs> they're like you know, energies that so you put a ring around it in a way that stops it proliferating, that's the idea. Now, when you put a label on it, that definitely designates it, but it doesn't necessarily stop what it's doing. I call it anger or something, or, uh, yeah, so, uh, that doesn't necessarily affect the behavior. It gives you a sense of dispassion, perhaps, you know, that's that, rather than, She's wrong with his anger. So that's it's useful to that extent. Mm. But then we say, well, actually, what does anger do? It's a, you know, it sort of moves, doesn't it? And it um, comes in waves, uh, and it generally seeks new fuel, doesn't it? You know, so a little bit steamed up, and, think, and then she said that. Get a bit of heat out there, and then they never did that. So you get so more and more of that heating up. So if you put the ring around, it sort of cuts off more fuel. You think, okay, let's hold this, handle it. Let's just hold it. See, so as you can see, you know the model I'm using is the hands, yeah, uh, rather than the eye, rather than the visual organ. That's that, which is has its value, but it's like, it's a handling phenomenon. Like, then we get a sense of how is this best handled. So mindfulness, you're learning how to be mindful. You know, you're learning sati, how to bear a hot potato in mind without, you know, without burning. You know. So, you know, so there's a certain handling that is implicit in the loop metaphor. It's not a noose, it's a container. Yeah. Now, see if we actually begin to use the organ of awareness, use the metaphor of hands rather than eyes. Yeah. So we often talk about witnessing the breath or watching this coming and going. This is just a metaphor. Nobody can witness a breath. You can't see it. This is a frosty day. So it means you're, you're attentive. But the watching, witnessing is just one metaphor to describe the function of bearing something in mind. And the problem with the visual and point metaphor is it, it's not very relational. You know, you name it, but that's it. Because if you use the metaphor of the visual sense, what the visual organ always does is it creates distance, very sharp, accurate, but there's no implicit relationship. I can see it, it doesn't see me. Right? Now handling, 
if you handle something, you handle it, it handles you. So it's a much more full-on relational sense. And you're experiencing both, you know, the phenomena and what the phenomena is doing and also how steady you are in, in handling that and how, what sort of space is needed, you know, like some, some phenomena need quite a big space to be held in. Yeah. Some need quite a gentle, some need to be held closer. Yeah. And all that you can get with the sense of, uh, you know, using a loop because how big does loop need to be? Um, yeah. So that's why I, I use that kind of metaphor. So again, non-verbal. Actually, sati certainly can be initiated or can be directed verbally. You know, so it's called vitaka, vitaka vichara. So vitaka, that's that. Yeah, you get it, and you, there's a, there's a, you got it. So it's actually likened to the striking of a bell. You know. So it's the striking. We get, that's that. Okay. And then, then your, your sati can then open around that. So vitaka is kind of placing of attention. Now you can place attention with a thought. That's that. So yeah. But essentially the placing of mindfulness. So you can use a thought to do that. Generally you do. Just a very fractional thought, or even in some things you don't really have words for, but feels kind of sticky. You know, okay, good, got it, good enough. You know. So we're not really using the words to. They're just as pointers. They're not actually supposed to be accurate descriptions. They're just pointers, and then to really get something. Because this is happening in your own dynamic, <laughs> to really get it, you've got to get around it. Because not just have an opinion about it, but feel it and how is it happening and what is it doing. And, and then this is vichara, which is associated with the resonance of the bell, how the thing is operating. And so vitaka vichara is a sort of a, a meditative jargon, placing and sensing. Placing and sensing. It's the sensing where you get the insight. The placing just gets you there. The sensing gives you the... And, it's, yeah, and it changes and it shifts and it surges and it's... Oh, it's kind of... There's something underneath it. You know, there's some anger there but there's some, some frustration underneath it. There's some grief underneath it. You really, you know, through, through carefully holding it. You know, and so that's... Uh, um, how you properly fulfill sati sampajanya. Sati makes sampajanya possible because we get to the point and then we start to handle it. Yeah, and so, you know, when you're operating with something like mindfulness of breathing, then the body, in fact, breathing helps you, trains you to be mindful. Because you can't just you know, clamp onto breathing, that's not going to get you a very sensitive, responsive uh, result, you know. If we're looking for something where there's happiness and gladness aroused by that, then you've got to 
know how to handle it, not too hard, not too firm, not too soft, and be with the flow. Yeah. So just naming it isn't, isn't adequate. Right? And the Buddha, one reference was he made was liking it to a holding a bird, a quail. So if you hold it too tight, you kill it. Hold it too soft, flies away. So you've got a big quail, you know, little quail. So you know, then you've got to keep that sense of relationship to what to what you're attending to, which is often shifting and changing, particularly in, in these subtle bodily processes and also emotional processes the shifting and changing if we just gather, gather around it listen up uh-huh. how to speak with myself mm. well yeah I wonder don't quite know perhaps you could pick that one up Laura I'm not entirely clear <laughs> Shameful, isn't it? (laughs) So what occurs to me right now is listening. Listening. So as you were talking, Arjun, I was thinking of the analogy of different sense spaces as metaphors, but inwardly in terms of how we are present. So, like this inner sensing, or inner seeing, or touching. And so the inner listening. So we can listen to how we do speak to ourselves and the effect that has, you know. So it talks about the inner critic and when we really notice those phrases and narratives, we really, you know, they're like insinuating in the background. And we bring them around to the front and hear what they're saying and we sort of can do a, a reality check. The effect of really painful. And something else maybe you can recognize, oh, that I don't deserve to be talked to in this way. So we can listen like beyond that usual uh, frame or usual narrative. And you can even l- listen to the felt sense, you know, listen to the, the feeling tone. So it's like, basically, this inner re- receptivity and sensitivity. It's like, uh, brings us into relationship, like Arjun was describing. It's almost like the uh, qualities of the faculties come into relationship with the mind as it is, or their qualities that they have their own uh, their own natural effect on us. Like just just like it is 
when we're with a friend who is just open to us and kind to us and receives us. That's like sati, you know, it's, a, it's something in us just relaxes and feels met and so it's like, that we, we, it's like there's a response as we come into relationship with these, these qualities. Does the Buddha say what the purpose of human life is? Is it be to be given a chance to attain Nibbana? Or is it more complex than that? Um, he didn't really frame um, things in that way. He didn't say human life had a purpose by itself. <laughs> No. You know, it depends what you mean by human life. You mean biological life? Uh, the purpose is to keep th- things going, isn't it? Um, but um, you know, if you say the citta awareness spirit, another word you can use for it, uh, arising within this human form. Purpose. It has a mission, you might say. Searching for security, searching for well-being. And it does that. That's what it does, constantly. Um, So then, picking up that message, I search for my well-being. I search for where I feel steady, reliable, I'll search for that. So well, bearing that in mind, you start to run through a few possibilities and life scenarios and finding this goes so far, but no further. This is quite good, but it's got a bad after effect. So he's saying, well then reviewing this carefully, if there is sattā, faith, there could be, higher, more fulfilling purpose there could be it says that, which again is a bit of a miracle really uh, then one forms a purpose you know, the purpose is not innate, the purpose arises really dependent upon faith yeah. and one of the sequences that in which he describes Dependent arising, you know, it goes through, you know, craving, clinging, suffering, aging, death, and so forth. And said, suffering is the root cause for the arising of faith. <laughs> yeah. Faith, then, then things start to move along, because there is faith. You know, there is inquiry, there is investigation, there is energy, and so forth. Then the enlightenment, then the whole eightfold path enlightenment factors start to open up out of that. So, because there is dukkha, or dukkha is a condition for the arising of faith, 
It's not a cause. Mm. Cause means something generates that. No, dukkha does not generate it. It's a condition whereby it stimulates and it's conditioned because for some it doesn't necessarily stimulate faith, stimulates depression. So, the whole thing is rather mysterious in some ways as to how this hinge point can hinge in a certain way, can turn towards liberation or not. So there's no innate purpose, but there is an innate characteristic called dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, that if apprehended as such, can give rise to the kind of, there's got to be more. Then purpose arises from faith. Enough, huh? Okay, good, good. It's a gentleman over here. As you've had such a long day, I have an easy question, which is, what do you think happens when you die? I'm not sure that I'm going to die. <laughs> I'll tell you when it happens. <laughs> I, I got, I'm pretty certain this body's going to go. <laughs> I'm pretty certain this body's going to go. <laughs> I can't prove it, but the evidence is all stacking up in that way. But to whether the heart dies, I, I'm not so sure. You know, whether awareness dies, whether the spirit dies, I'm not so sure. And if I was to, if I was pushed to the point, I would say it doesn't. <laughs> it goes through the gate of death. Yeah, certainly there's an experience of the breaking up. Yeah, that my that my intuition, my sense is that's the end of this, but the spirit moves on, chitta moves on, and that's my sense of it. And that's actually the way the, the Buddha described it too. You know, for many a lifetime, this has been going on through birth after birth after birth. So what is it that goes on? <laughs> yeah. Well, do some bit of field work. What is it that wakes up in the morning? Mm. What is it that goes through the various changes of emotion, disposition, thought, physicality, pain, pleasure? Is it me as a person? No, there's something behind that that persists. And, you know, if again, just colloquially speaking, informally speaking, you know, if I consider this, you know, say, well, how old is it? In some ways, I, it's not old. It's no older than it was so many years ago. It's the same. You know, I mean, the stuff around it, 
changes, but the nature of knowing, if it's anything, it's actually getting better, <laughs> rather than the other way around. <laughs> you know, which is great. Yeah, and uh, so jitta doesn't die; it goes through death. It's my 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 sense of it. I uh, I share personal experience with uh, being with my mother when she passed away and she'd been ill for quite a long time so she'd had time to prepare in a way for dying and she actually passed away very peacefully she just gently um, breathing slowed down and she just gently stopped breathing it's quite unusual I think I don't know but anyway she just died peacefully and the perception I had, the experience I had, was uh, that the quality of meta filled the room. I, I actually asked myself what, what had changed, this is as that question came, what's changed? Cause, and the answer was, uh, it's like the fire's gone out, the body. And also her body just seemed to completely relax. And so it, it really felt like a sense of um, being released from the body. Because she had motor neuron disease, so it was a pretty challenging illness. And, and it wasn't like she wanted to get away, it wasn't, she just sort of it's almost like she just turned to go. So, uh, so that's what that's what gives me a sense of it. It didn't feel particularly personal, but it felt connected to this consciousness. I think I'll leave it there. Yeah. Mm. Could you speak more about chitta resting in itself, please? Thank you. Mm. Now we're, we're really looking at different kind of words to cover this word chitta, so mind is often used, but it's rather unsatisfactory. And awareness is a little bit sort of pallid. But um, you know, chitta is both fundamental knowingness you could say it's the heart of consciousness, uh, just knowingness. But it's also that which is sensitive and affected. So rather like the surface of a, of a lake, which is both reflective but also rippling. And the uh, you know, practice path is through these indriya and so forth and various lists of qualities one cultivates it's first of all to, to still the shimmering and rippling enough to be able to not be mesmerized by all the ups and downs. You know, so then you begin to see, ah, even though it's choppy or you know, there's colors moving through it, it's basically is reflective. 
This is just the metaphor which probably has its inadequacies. But the story is that, uh, that through various means, as one both becomes more capable of staying in that domain rather than spilling off into abstract and staying with that lake and then through various processes of witnessing all these or experiencing all these phenomena passing, changing, going nowhere, da 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 not generating a steady pattern of any kind there grows dispassion and disinterest in them and if you like one's attention shifts to oh you know it steps back it's called nibida which means it, it, it steps back it's no longer interested in the various phenomenal play and in that stepping back there's some realization of oh there's this yeah and then its uh, expression is vortsaga, there's an ab- abandonment. There's no longer that moving into phenomena, searching for what they cannot provide. So then jitta then settles back in itself. Right? Now that, you can't make it do it, but if the doing bit is to generate the kind of correct handling and attentiveness to get the wisdom to, to see things as they are really right down here <laughs> you know so the heart is not agitated by all this stuff uh, and, and then, then there's a kind of a, a stepping back and the chitta rests in itself and that would be the fullest um, way of interpreting that comment uh, but samadhi is also when the jitta rests in its own radiances. So it's still a little bit, you know, in terms of uh, effects. It's got a very nice shimmer to it, so it rests in that. So as, as the jitta purifies of its turbulence, it, it acquires a kind of shimmery, suffusive quality. And then, then ah, no longer interested in sight, sounds, popcorn, TV, or whatever, uh, rests in that. So, you know, it doesn't go out. It, it stays in its own, um, in its own subtle sensitivity. But more profoundly than that, e- even than that, it rests just in, in awareness itself. Helpful? Just that sense of letting the response land and, yeah. Am I trying to do too much when holding a sense of ground and releasing boundaries from myself? The initial response is sort of noticing the question, is it too active component in the practice? In a way, the question can be like a little a subtle doubt, but it also will maybe have a kernel of relevance in it. So, in a way, what I find helpful is just resting with the question, letting go of the mind responding to it, and listening to the body's knowing, or the heart's knowing, or the heart's response to the 
question. There's this very nice image in the suttas. Uh, it's of a glass blower. <laughs> so it's got the tube and the, the molten glass on the end. You know this metaphor. You know. So sometimes there's an action. You're putting the, the glass in the fire to heat it and turning it. And then sometimes you're just putting it to the side and letting it rest. Letting it cook in a way from the previous actions. And it's like sensing into when to heat it and when to rest it. It's like I find that more comes from a kind of a level of intelligence from the body, the heart. Equanimity is uh, often a missing piece. Uh, surveying it with on onlooking equanimity, which is a very wide span, you could say. Let's things move, but it's certainly you're with it. You're still maintaining presence, and so that there's no action in that but there's definitely presence. Can I say something, both of us, <laughs> about <laughs> having boundaries in interpersonal relationships, especially when there is a caring element such as with sick elderly parents? Uh, I think boundaries is a useful term. It's a useful term, but there perhaps is flexibility in them. Uh, you know, really, the measuring of it is, is one's capacity to maintain presence and attentiveness and what is needed in the situation. If you can't maintain the core qualities that are relevant to the situation then you're not, you're not really of benefit to the situation so you know if you can't maintain the qualities that are necessary then you need to withdraw to freshen or strengthen your core qualities so your boundaries have to be established to check the sense of obligation or or compulsion um, and these two so obligation means it's you have to and you want to check out where that's coming from yeah. like who signed the contract and there's a shift between compassion and concern which is actually moving <laughs> this way an obligation, which is sitting, <laughs> moving on my back. <laughs> you want to make sure you can just ask yourself, do you really want to be with this? Difficult, painful? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then, but also, the other thing I think to measure is the notion, say, if you're looking after sick and elderly people or whatever any people really is to feel that 
you have the capacity to make things better, you know, to make it work for another person. And that is a, that's a rather naive and, and an assumption to be on guard against. Yeah. Yeah. We have the capacity to be present and participate enough all we can, but we don't actually have the capacity to change another person fundamentally. Yeah. And there's the edge of equanimity. It's not that I don't care, but I realize only so far I can go. With the best will in the world, there's only so far I can go. Yeah. What occurs is some of these near misses become personal characteristics. Um, they, they, you know, one becomes the over-responsible one. Yeah. It's a kind of distorted uh, form of compassion. Or one becomes you know, the one who will make everything work. And it's a freezing into a role or a function which is actually not authentic to the relationship. Yeah. So the relationship is not a person. And so the relationship is held by two, right? not by one. So in this relationship, this is what can occur. Now if I say, I can do this for you, that's not actually true. <laughs> but what can the relationship do for you? That's a better, better question. What can the relationship do for you? And I can maintain relationship. You know, I can participate to the extent I can maintain relatedness. Now what actually occurs in that relationship is also up to you. Uh, your capacity to receive or to listen or whatever. And sometimes the relationship just isn't adequate to, to bring the most fulfilling results. Now, if we take that as a person, then we feel a sense of, I am not adequate, I'm not good enough. If we look at it more wisely, say the conditions didn't support this. The conditions only went this far. That's how it was. The conditions were only could do this much. They did this much. That was the conditions, and I didn't hang back. That was just all the conditions could do. Um, and this, that's what equanimity is about. Yeah. Yeah. And so, be aware of what hampers relationship, which are these near misses of obligation, compulsion to change, uh, to fix things and how they're, they're near misses of a genuine sense of conscience and concern and loyalty and gratitude which are very genuine yeah, can be very genuine then those energies are present they can be present but when you start to make it into a person then it begins to um, lose some of the true authentic vibrancy and potency that's possible. So then you start to, okay, well right now I'm running out, you know, 
running out of juice on this one, or I've reached the end of this one, then it's time to, you know, find a way to restore, regenerate, and, you know, for everybody's welfare. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add to that is how hard it is to tolerate witnessing the suffering of others not try to do something about it and of course there's there's ways we can respond and can be supportive but it it really helps to to listen to what's driving that to really know what's driving that movement to to help and so you know these these patterns are very deeply embedded i've got this this is a big pattern for me my uh as a nurse before I was a nun, I was a nun, and then I I'm actually work here in a, in Gaia House in a supportive role. So it's something it's a dri- the drives behind how I hold that role is something I contemplate quite a lot. Where I get caught up, reactive. Uh, one one of my teachers said something about compassion I really liked. He said that often we can relate to compassion like a salve. So like a quality that takes the pain away. Another way of contemplating compassion is it allows the pain to be received into the heart. It actually allows us to feel our pain more fully. And uh, there's something about how the heart then heals it when it can actually be really let in. So that's more emotional pain, but also how we respond to, there's a physical pain and then how it affects us. <coughs> 